What's going on, traders? Yes, yes, the SPACs attack is back. And guess what? I'm not alone anymore. My man Chris is here in the back ready to get at it. So definitely smash the like button. We got four deals today, guys. So we're going to be going into those deals. Stay tuned. And like always, smash that like, hit the subscribe, and let everybody know this is the SPACs attack. Tired of getting left behind on winning trades? Join Benzinga's free masterclass on July 24th to learn how to spot breakout trades before they skyrocket. Featuring live interactive lessons on how to trade meme stocks, read charts, identify trends, and so much more. To register for free, go to events.benzinga.com. What's going on, traders? Yes, yes, I know out there it's been a struggling environment. Chris and I will talk a little bit about that and kind of our emotions in the market. But like always, Go ahead, smash the like button if you like the SPAC game, and we're going to talk a little bit about them. We got some deals today. We got a, a, a great guest coming on, right, Chris? That's right. You know, we have one of the leaders in the industry, Christy from SPAC Insider. Um, you know, many of you out there who have followed SPACs, you you know that site, you know her Twitter account, you know, getting those deal announcements out in the early morning, sharing the details. I know it's one of the accounts I follow, I look, look at each day. Um, but yeah, four deals today, Mitch. And we also had, you know, a deal called off once again. So last week we saw a deal fall apart. And today we had one of the uh, most high profile SPAC deals um, called off, you know, so we, we, we got a lot to get into. And, and of course, we've got that exciting guest coming on a little bit later in the show. We'll get Christy's thoughts on the market as well. A lot of red out there, Mitch. One of those days where maybe you just, uh, you know, close the computer or walk away for a bit, um, you know, because it's, it's bleeding out there. Yeah, these are one of those days where you got to understand how to really just manage your positions. You know, one of the things that I always talk about is, yeah, we always know once we in our positions on the reward side, but really it's always comes down to risk management, you know. And I think this is times where you really start understanding, hey, do I know how to manage my risk? And do I know how to go ahead and continue playing the game repetitively versus just coming in and out of the market? You know, a lot of traders are going to go ahead and start realizing that, hey, if you stay in the market, eventually if you don't understand how to play the game usually what happens is you just give the gains right back and so this is very important to you guys to go ahead and, and master your skill your process and just like we're talking about SPACs right now I'm in the I'm in some red and some SPACs but that doesn't have me freaking out what I'm going to do is have a planned attack these next couple of weeks of how I'm going to manage my risk and how I can go ahead and get out with a gain. Of course, like always, this is going to go ahead and take some some you know managing. It's not just going to be perfect. Like today is one of those days where instead of averaging down, I'm looking to see how bad we get into the red. How far down can we get? Because if I just go ahead and just start throwing money, I can end up with no money in my hands. And that's what I don't want to end up right now. I'm okay with a downturn. But what I want to do is I want to catch the scoop when we're going to come back up. Then that's when I want to go ahead and start adding some shares so that I can catch that bounce. So, hey, I know it's a troubled time out there. I see a lot of people in the chat worrying. It's time to put your hands on your seat, watch, and just kind of figure out what you want to do. And in times like this, what I like to do is just more focus on weekly supports. Where's the next level? Can we stop there? Can we stop at the, the following level? Can we stop at the following levels? And I'm not looking at dailies. I go even further back. Weeklies and monthlies are going to help you out in these situations. But hey, like always, let's turn things around, Chris. Let's bring some, some headlines in here. Let's talk about some positive news. Let's talk about some deals. Let's talk about what we're seeing out there. And like always, Chris, bring us back to those headlines. All right, guys. Yeah, let's get into headlines today. Up first, we have PSTH. So Pershing Square called off the SPAC merger uh, to take the 10% stake in Universal Music. We'll pursue a traditional SPAC merger instead. 
This comes after the SEC objected to the the um, structure of PSTH. So remember that PSTH was going to, you know, take 10% stake in Universal Music. They were going to create a spark. They were going to do, you know, a new business combination as well. SEC essentially saying they weren't sure that that structure fell under the New York Stock Exchange listing requirements. Um, they, they objected to it. Rather than get into a lengthy battle, Bill Ackman, you know, decided, hey, you know, we're not going to do the PSTH Universal Music deal. Instead, we're, we're going to acquire a different company, but Pershing Square, the parent company that Bill Ackman runs, is still going to buy that 10% stake, you know, apart from the SPAC. So still bullish on Universal Music, uh, but they will not be doing a SPAC deal. So couple big questions here now are, you know, with PSTH back to the drawing board, how quickly will a new target be found? You know, a lot of uh, investors did not like the way, um, the amount of time that it took for PSTH to find a target. Also, Ackman said, you know, that they were in talks with a iconic company for quite a while. So, you know, I don't know how many other companies Ackman has looked at. So I think this could be slow moving. Or Ackman could, you know, rush in to get a deal to kind of, you know, get this SPAC out of the way. But shares trading down today around $20.30. That's close to net asset value. Um, also, the SEC now getting involved two weeks in a row. So that could be a trend to watch as well. We have Velodyne LIDAR, VLDR. Sorry to interrupt there. Go ahead. Go ahead. To, just wanted to show a little bit of something here off of uh, Ackman's kind of Twitter. And it kind of shows that he even was surprised, I think, in, in this kind of ruling. Um, just wanted to show here. He, he was talking about here on the 22nd how in, uh, the next kind of they were starting to do the analyst day. He was he was definitely looking towards this deal going through. So I, I just wanted to point it out that I, I think even Ackman himself was stunned uh, about the ruling this morning. And I, I think that right there, it shows that, hey, just just red flag, definitely start paying attention to the deals. How are they being closed? What is the deal? And also how much each company is getting. I think part of that um, this deal was way too complicated for the investor to figure out how much they were actually owning of the company at the end. And with that being said, I think the SEC just kind of said, hey, you, you're going to need a, a degree or something just to understand this deal. So yeah, let's take sure. this off the table and let's keep it to what it should be. And so I just wanted to state that because I think there's two sides also. It's not a good look that we can't that we're getting this kind of deal to pull off, but it's also an understanding that I think even Bill himself thought this deal was going to go through, and now it's just turned around. Yeah, and we'll we'll dive into to this more with Christy as well. You know, uh, I, I was surprised that this one got called off because we have had you know months to kind of digest it. But again, you know, Mitch, as you said, very complicated deal structure which I think really kept people, you know, from even wanting to invest in this deal. Uh, Velodyne LIDAR, VLDR, shares trading down. Uh, the CEO announced that he is leaving the company effective July 30th. No reason given. Um, they're using a search firm to find a replacement. Uh, you know, so the company also announced guidance. So fiscal 2021 between 77 and 94 million. Analyst consensus currently 93.76 million. So on the higher end of that, company will report uh, financial results August 5th. So that's coming up fairly soon. Keep an eye out on this one falling. Um, you know, it's one of the LIDAR leaders, but again, a new CEO will be needed to lead the company forward. Couple vote dates set: RTP, uh, Joby Aviation, August fifth, and SBAC Sixterra Technologies, July twenty eighth. We will add those to our calendar. On Friday, shares of ATM are up one point one percent on their deal. FGNA, their merger with Opfi approved shares were up eight percent on Friday. Um, we had EVLV Evolve Technology, which changed over tickers this morning. Um, moving higher today, shares were actually halted. It's another one with heavy redemptions, 
low float. So keep an eye out on that one. Shares of Virgin Galactic SPCE also up today. Blue Origin flight coming later this week. Um, you know, that's the story I called out that we could see another move up in those shares. Then we turn to our four deals. So we have IIAC, a merger with Zegna. This is a global luxury company. So the Zegna family will retain control, owning 62% of the company. Deal values the company at $3.2 billion. Vertical integration made in Italy. Uh, started as a textile business. Now has some iconic brands, uh, including Tom Brown, um, which was one of the first luxury brands that ever was offered in China. Um, you know, keep an eye out on this one. Well-known brands. They have a presence in 80 countries, uh, 296 stores, uh, annual sales of over $3, uh, $3 billion. Um, you know, th this is an interesting one. Uh, one of the larger deals we've seen recently. And we have CPSR merging with uh, Gelesis, which is the maker of Plenity, uh, which is a weight management uh, drug that was approved by the FDA. That's going to be the big story for this company. They're working on, uh, you know, they're manufacturing for this. Coming later this year, company valued at $964 million. So they see revenue of $26 million this year, $171 million next year. So Plenity makes it easier to eat less and feel fuller, uh, all about portion control. So they're targeting over 150 million Americans, um, you know, many who do not use a prescription alternative. Uh, so a big market here, um, a cost of $98 a month, $1.75 per meal on average. Uh, so over 48,000 members have already signed up for Plenity. They also have a partnership with Weight Watchers, um, which could help them, you know, gain more customers in the future. This is one I want to dive into, you know, on a different day because I actually really like this one as I read more about it. Then we have ENNV uh, merging with Fast Radius. So this values the company at $1.4 billion dollars. Uh, pipe of $100 million includes Goldman Sachs, UPS, and Palantir. Uh, shareholders will own 24% of the company. So Fast Radius, all about Industry 4.0, a cloud manufacturing platform designed to create an ecosystem of software applications. So they've worked with more than 2,000 customers, including 45 Fortune 500 companies, Targeting automotive, aerospace, medical, consumer, industrial, medical, and technology made over 11 million parts. So some of the customers listed in the presentation include Aptiv, Toyota, Rawlings, Cobalt, Collins Aerospace, and an Airbus uh, sub subsidiary. Uh, Ford Motor Company also listed as uh, a case study with that partnership with Aptiv. So Fast Radius targeting a $350 billion market. They also have micro factories, which is one of those uh, growth segments we've talked about with other companies like Arrival. So they have four micro factories, including one in Louisville, Kentucky on the UPS Worldport hub. So uh, a great relationship they have with UPS. Revenue $25 million expected this year, $103 million in 2022. 246 million in 2023. So 100% uh, on average through 2025, where they see revenue hitting $600 million and profitability. And then we have OCA Omnichannel Acquisition Corp um, announcing a, a SPAC merger with Kin Insurance. This is a homeowner's insurance company. Uh, they are a direct to consumer platform. So new investors in Kin Insurance include Stephen Ross and Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Draymond Green of the NBA and Rory McIlroy of the PGA, already investors in Kin Insurance. So we actually have a couple athletes attached to this company. OCA shareholders will own 16% of the company. Kin operates in Florida, Louisiana, and California right now. They're the only pure play direct to consumer insurance company. They offer a platform where you can find out in minutes um, how much it would cost to insure your home, lower retention compared to uh, Hippo and Lemonade, their competitors, 
Along with the SPAC merger, they announced plans to acquire an inactive insurance carrier that has licenses in over 40 states. So national expansion expected by 2025. Uh, you know, so this this is an interesting one. This is from Omni Channel, uh, Matt Higgins, who was on our show, of course, not too long ago with Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, they're going to target male social media and brand awareness campaigns to really drive home what kid insurance is all about. Also looking at expanding an auto insurance, life insurance, umbrella insurance, and some non-insurance products down the road. Uh, so growth of 139% expected annually from 2019 to 2023. Written premiums were up 200% year over year in the first quarter. So revenue of 2021, uh, 98 million expected, and then 234 million in 2022 and 431 million in 2023. And the company has positive gross profits right now. Again, Kin Insurance with Omni Channel. So that was those four SPAC mergers uh, and the headlines. I know that was a lot to get through, Mitch. Uh, what do you What do you think? Well, I'm going to be watching to see what's going on with these newer companies that come out. You know, one of the things that I expect is that, yeah, at first it might not be so attractive just because of the market environment right now. But that doesn't mean that I, I can't watch for these to come down towards a level that I definitely might want to go ahead and get in. Um, just like I've been watching, I mean, not to bring up a stock that's going down right now, but more along to point out an opportunity that I'm starting to see is I'm still watching body right now. Um, we're down towards 775 right now. I'll put this up right quickly just to talk about it. Uh, stocks like this is definitely interesting to me because at the end of the day, we're talking about a company that's making money, right? Like there's revenue in this company. It's not like something that we're just going into fluha talking about potentials. I mean, I, I literally am a subscriber to this company right now. So, uh, I mean, I know what they have to offer. I've been in it. Um, I use this really not, not necessarily on an everyday. I have it more along for my fiance that likes to work out at home. And some people do like to work out at home. So I think that's something that you're going to start seeing a trend that stays. And with that being said, I think in the long run that that pays to the bottom line of beach body so we'll see if we can hold this kind of seven dollar look right now we're at a low of 719 i would love to see it under that seven dollars getting closer towards that five that would really make me excited and i'd definitely probably be going after a stock if this one could get down towards those levels yeah, definitely. You know, revenue and recurring revenue, right, Mitch? You you pay them uh, a monthly, you know, figure to keep that plan, and they, they have uh, you know millions of customers who do the same. So that's that's what we like to see, right? Yep. Is recurring revenue. So you know, that's a that's an interesting one. And also, Mitch, you know, as we see some of the uh, COVID concerns and the work from home trades start to pop up again. You got Body, who's all about working out at home. So uh, pay attention to that as a uh, work from home. You new know, bike also coming. A out, new man. bike, yeah. We got the mix, mix fitness. You know, uh, we're probably going to see Peloton stocks start to heat up again with the the COVID variants coming out. Um, so keep and an eye out on Beachbody. Thing that most people don't think about. They just don't think about it because they're just probably not on the bike. They're not that type of people. Guess what, guys? Summer's going to go away. Winter's just around the corner, at least for like here in Colorado. It's it's quicker than you know it. And then next thing you know, you, you won't want to be going outside and getting a bike, right? Um, you'll probably be looking to do some exercise indoors. So you could see those bikes start getting a spike going into the fall and winter months. So that's just something to point out. You know me, always trying to stay with the stories. For sure, All right, for sure. let's go ahead. Let's get, let's have some fun. Let's talk some SPACs. I know we got someone behind me that probably knows even more than I could ever even get into SPACs. So let's go ahead and let's get into where we unlock some SPACs, Chris. All right, guys, super excited. Joining us on SPAC's Attack today, we have Christy Marvin, the founder of SPAC Insider, uh, one of those great resources out there for SPAC investors. Welcome to SPAC's Attack, Christy. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mitch. Pleasure Welcome. to be here. Thanks. 
Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I just wanted to show. <laughs> hey, guys, if you guys want to check it out, definitely check out the description below. If you guys want to be a follower of SPAC Insider, we have also the website there you guys can check out. But definitely, it's in the description below. So definitely hit that link, and then we'll we'll get started. I'll let Chris do some questions first. Let it be a little bit more of you guys, and then I'll come in with some of my own. All right, perfect. So, Christy, before we dive into the the SPAC questions here, just wondering if you can give viewers, you know, a brief background on your, um, you know, experience in the financial industry here. Uh, sure. So, former investment banker, um, started working on SPACs back in way back in two thousand five, which is clearly dating me, <laughs> um, and started the SPAC Insider website in early two thousand eighteen. So. Um, have been around SPACs for a long time now, um, and it's interesting to sort of watch their evolution. Um, if anybody was sort of around and looking at some of the older SPACs in 2005, they looked drastically different than they do today. Uh, it's just a completely different market. Awesome. So, you, you know, you have have experience in the SPAC market for, you know, multiple years here. As you said, you've seen them evolve what have been some of the rewarding moments of, you know, covering the SPAC market and what gets you so excited about, you know, being exclusive to SPACs here? Um, you know, I think uh, part of the appeal of SPACs to me was always that um, you weren't ever held to one vertical, you know, like you're not necessarily focusing completely on healthcare or energy. Um, the really interesting thing about SPACs is you get to see deals done in like, you know, one day we're looking at a space deal, the next day it's a biotech deal, the next day after that it's, you know, something completely different to that, you know. Um, so it's never dull. And I also really like that the structure is constantly evolving. So there's always something new to sort of chew on and try and figure out. And, um, you know, if, if you like if you like puzzles, <laughs> specs are a good puzzle to try and figure out. Awesome. So, you know, one of the big headlines today, we have PSTH calling off that deal for Universal Music. Christy, I heard you in a Twitter spaces not too long ago with the SPAC guru trying to break down the, the terms of that deal. I mean, as you said, you've been uh, covering SPACs for years. What Was this just like the, the most complex deal that you have seen, uh, you know, and how hard was this to really drive home uh, what was involved in the deal terms. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Well, I mean, yeah, it was definitely complicated. I mean, it wasn't insurmountable. Um, you know, if you read if you read the press release this morning when they were talking about how they called off the deal, it was interesting. You know, they kind of, they kind of um, initially kind of blamed it on the SEC and NYSE listing standards and um, how it didn't necessarily meet the SPAC rules. Um, but then in the next paragraph, they kind of talk about how um, it was too complicated for investors to wrap their heads around. My sense is that um, if you remember, they had already commenced their tender offerings for their share and warrant. I suspect they probably had maybe more redemptions than they would have wanted. And knowing Ackman and his personality, I mean, he is not in this to have a mediocre transaction, right? Like he wants a winner. So I think he probably looked at the results and given the SEC noise was just like, you know what, uh, you know, this is a good excuse. You know, it put it this way. If the share was trading much better than it currently is, I'm sure he would have pressed a little bit harder on the SEC and the NYSE. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you know, definite there. So how quickly do you think we uh, we see a new deal announced from PSTH? Do you think Ackman goes completely back to the drawing board, or do you think he had maybe a a plan B or plan C since part of that deal was to you know acquire an additional company? Oh, I absolutely think he has a plan B, C, D, E, and F. Uh, you know, most of these guys they've evaluated multiple deals at the same time. I'm I'm sure that he definitely has. Um, you know, something he's considering uh, as a substitute. Um, the question is, is, you know, how fast can you negotiate that? Um, the good news is, is he still has 18 months, uh, which is plenty of time. Uh, it's probably a little frustrating for investors who've been waiting a year, um, but uh, he's not in any risk as far as his deal. And then, you know, as you said, you know, there was some talk of the, the SEC, um, you know, being part of the reason on that and, and whether that was the main cause or those redemptions, like you said, we now have the SEC being mentioned, you know, two weeks in a row. We have the the Ackman deal, and then we also had Momentus with SRAC getting the fine. 
What's your take on, you know, the SEC, how how involved they're getting in the SPAC market? Do you think this is just the beginning and they're going to, you know, keep pressing harder and harder here? It's hard to say. Um, you know, I do think that SPACs are certainly on the SEC's radar, you know, amongst a bunch of other things. Um, Gensler is uh, very much um, invested in, not invested, that's maybe not the right word, but he's definitely looking um, at a number of different initiatives, you know, particularly the, the Reddit investors, um, you know, like GME, um, you know, will they eventually change any rules and regulations? That's really hard to do, um, you know, but the simple act of saying you're investigating and, and enacting fines definitely has the desired effect usually. Um, if you remember back in April when the SEC came out with the statement regarding warrant liability accounting, um, that had a, a significant effect on the market, you know, and they didn't necessarily need to do too much, but just sort of put that out there and, um, and it had the desired effect. So I think you'll probably see more stuff like that. Um, I think the fine actually was a good thing though um, with SREC. Um, you know, there's a lot of specs out there, you know, things definitely need to be tightened up for sure. I don't think that's a problem for 90% of SPACs, but you know, it's the other 10% that are unfortunately going to get the headlines that, you know, places like CNBC will latch onto and want to make it a blanket statement across all SPACs. So if we can avoid that, that would be great. Yeah, agreed. You know, lumping all of them together is definitely the the trend from some of the, the major media companies. You, you mentioned with PSTH, the possibility, you know, that the heavy redemptions, that is a trend that we're seeing here with a lot of these SPAC votes. We saw with, you know, Owlet, Evolve, where, you know, a lot of people are, you know, redeeming those shares. And it, it's been almost a tradable event where we see, you know, lots of shares redeemed and then a, a lower flow and those shares spike up uh, on the first day. What do you think of the high redemption amounts on these uh, SPAC deals? And, and will we actually see some SPACs not go through uh, on the vote? Is this the start of that? Um, so you're never going to see a SPAC not go through on the vote, right? The vote and the redemptions are completely decoupled. Um, so 99.9%, like I can't remember the last time a SPAC was actually voted down. Um, the redemption number is really the more significant factor. Um, so if you if you look at tomorrow's calendar, we have five we have five votes, and I last time I checked, I think three of them were trading below ten, um, and that's because they've gone ex-redemption. Like those deals are probably going to have heavy redemptions, um, but then if you look at you know like Gore Six, I mean it's trading. I think last time I checked, somewhere in the thirteens. Like that is at no risk at all, right? Because why would anybody redeem when the share is trading that high? They can just sell it in the market rather than redeem. Um, but you know. It's a question. Why are we seeing so many redemptions all of a sudden? Um, I personally think like the market is just way overinvested. I just wrote a newsletter that came out this morning and I was I happened to be looking at not just SPACs, but the traditional IPO market, which is just on fire as well. Um, they have you know the traditional IPO market is already priced 231 deals this year, which is more than they did in all of 2020. Same with SPACs. SPACs last year did 248 deals. We've done 374 to date, right? So, and we're only halfway through the year. I mean, that is a tremendous amount of capital raised. Uh, if I remember, I think it's 197 million between SPACs and traditional IPOs. That is far and away uh, just an incredible amount of money. Um, so. If you're IPOing additional deals, where's that money going to come from? <laughs> you know. Um, so the other thing too is you're going to you're going to start to see things like rotation of capital, and which is kind of like what we're seeing here. So at at a at an at announcement at a vote, you'll see people selling to free up capital for the next deal. Um, if it's on the bubble, right? If it's something you know trading obviously really well, there's no risk for that, right? But um, yeah, it's really, really challenging for teams right now. Um, the other thing too is a lot of the fundamental investors that were sort of um, involved in SPACs in 2020, uh, they've kind of really dried up, you know, like they're just, they don't want to take that risk and, and they don't need to because there is just so much paper out there right now. 
So you mentioned the the massive number of SPACs that are out there, the the large number of deals we've seen. So we had seven deals announced last week. We had four deals already announced today. You know, do you think there's any average number of deals that need to be completed a week to kind of wash out these existing, you know, SPACs that are out there? Uh, is there any concern of, you know, uh, some of these SPACs getting close to their, uh, you know, expiration date and not getting, you know, a, a great deal for investors? Well, so the interesting thing is we've had just a, a crazy amount of votes, uh, 44 since June 1st, right? So there is a lot of movement with deals um, coming to completion votes and getting done. Um, I believe we also have an additional, uh, I can't remember as of this morning, but I want to say like 26 on the calendar for the rest of July and early August. Um, so the deal votes are moving. Um, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is the huge IPO backlog, um, the ones that are on file to register. Um, to have over 300 deals in registration is just crazy. I mean, we priced 28 IPOs in June. So if we just assume, let's say 30 IPOs uh, every month, uh, how long will it take to clear out that backlog? 10 months, <laughs> you know, like, and that's assuming no other deals uh, filed to IPO. Um, that's, 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 that's putting a lot of pressure on the announced deals, right? Because um, the bankers are probably going to investors, institutional investors, and asking them to invest in these IPOs that are coming to market, but they need to sell something to free up capital to invest in it, right? And so what that does is just create a lot of selling pressure on the announced deals. Um, and so, uh, I don't know if I answered your original question. Uh, what was your original question? Oh, the announced deals, right? Oh, I, I think you hit on it. Uh, you know, I, I want to dive into the, the calendar a little bit. You know, that was part of the reason we we really wanted you to come on this week. So, you know, June has been crazy. July has been crazy. This week, we do have some high-profile names. We have Microvast, Lucid Motors, Faraday Future. Uh, you know, and as you said, there's multiple uh, votes tomorrow. What really stands out to you this week and how important do you think this week may be, you know, for the SPAC market, given some of those high profile deals, you know, for retail traders, for media, uh, you know, with Lucid, et cetera? I think Lucid, uh, for obvious reasons, is going to be on everybody's radar, right? And so um, the good news is, is Faraday Future already sort of pre-announced their vote. Uh, this morning in a press release. So it looks like they're going to have a, a good vote, um, which isn't surprising given where it's trading. Um, the, the the Lucid deal though, right, that Kramer will be all over it. CNBC will be all over it. <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. Um, is it is it critically important? I mean, if you talk to anybody in SPAC land, they will tell you absolutely not, right? If you talk to CNBC, it's a harbinger of doom, <laughs> you know, um, if it's a bad result. So, you know, take it for what it's worth, what you read in the media. Uh, it, it, as far as Stockland, it's just another deal, you know. Do you think any of the, the companies uh, go, are doing their merger votes this week, given the high profile of Lucid and the media attention that one's going to get? Do you think the other companies are at an advantage or a disadvantage this week as maybe SPACs will be in the spotlight more, but maybe they uh, won't get the, you know, ringing the bell or media interviews that they normally would on a vote? I mean, it's really, it's deal specific, right? If it's, if it's um, more of an institutional investment, you know, like usually the biotech deals are much more institutional, um, not as much of a retail following. It's not that important. You know, um, the ones that that do sort of rely on more of a retail investor that that likes the press, um, it's more important. So, you know, is it an advantage to sort of fly under the radar this week? Eh, you know, maybe if the if the result, the vote result is not good. Um, conversely, if the vote result is really good, you want that to be noticed and um, maybe it won't. So tough to say. Definitely. Um, you know, so someone who covers SPACs, you know, obviously we have the life cycle, we have the the units, we have commons, we have warrants. What are some uh, trading strategies that, you know, you have used as a investor or that you, you know, think look appealing to the, the SPAC market in terms of trading units versus common and, and warrants? 
Well, let me just start off by saying um, as policy, I don't allow myself to invest in SPACs right now simply because it's such a tricky issue with the SEC. We do a lot of writing and analysis on the site. And as you know, that that's like a big no-no in SEC land. So um, rather than just try to get around the issue, it's just policy that we don't invest, um, which is it, kind of a bummer, <laughs> you know, for us. Uh, but uh, the risk is too great with the SEC. Um, but, you know, what strategy, I mean, I, I will tell you what I've been seeing just um, talking to other people. Uh, you know, the the warrantless specs are becoming pretty tricky for institutional investors, right? Like they they clearly the certain type of institutional investor doesn't like them for obvious reasons. There's no warrant, right? So it's very challenging to get a decent enough return um, as a spec investor at IPO um, unless that deal like really really performs well. Um, and so conversely, what you have in the market right now are like the total opposite end of the spectrum, which are these very small $50 million deals that come with like a half a warrant of right overfunded trust. Um, people are just arbing them, you know, um, and there's no in between. That's the problem right now. There's none of those deals that are sort of like in the middle, um, you know, the really good quality teams, but still offered like maybe a half a warrant or a third of a warrant, um, you know, something like that. That's what's kind of missing in the current market. Um, as far as the trading strategy, I mean, it's so, it's so hard to say because it's so spec specific and it depends on the structure. Um, I mean, with the rights, I mean, I will tell you deals with rights. Like if I were a team, I wouldn't want rights in my, in my, uh, in my unit. Um, mostly because as you've probably seen, um, a big trade is usually, you know, buy the right and then sell the share once it can, you know, the right converts to the share, sell immediately, right? So, um, you know, it's good if you're a, an investor. It's terrible if you're a team. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, not investment advice here, but as you write up, you know, the, the terms of some of these SPAC deals, you know, again, we've seen multiple industries, you know, space, electric vehicles, LIDAR. Ha have any of these deals kind of jumped out in terms of, you know, maybe their cheaper valuation to peers or their higher growth to peers? A any recent deals, you know, really stand out? I mean, yeah, the Ginkgo Bioworks one always was such a mystery to me. Um, I, I just don't understand why that's not trading better. And I, I only can maybe assume that it's because it's um, a biotech deal and it's a little bit harder for people to sort of like wrap their heads around what's actually going on with the science there. Um, but that one, like always, just, I'm always just so confused by, you know, like, why isn't that one doing better, you know? Yeah, definitely. And full disclosure, I am long on Soaring Eagle uh, SRNG. That that one, yeah, Ginkgo has their their hands in so many different sectors. Um, you know, I, I think it's just misunderstood. They've got some subsidiaries that, you know, maybe are undervalued as well. Christy, one last question from me, and then I think Mitch has some questions for you. As you look at these SPAC deals, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, we just talked about positives with the valuation. What are some red flags? You mentioned, you know, rights. What are some other red flags when you, you see these SPAC deals announced that, that maybe make you question uh, a certain deal? I mean, lockups are always like a good way to sort of um, see what's kind of going on there. I mean, it's funny, too, because people always uh, assume pipe investors should be locked up. They really shouldn't. Um, pipe investors take on a tremendous amount of risk. And I don't think people totally understand how and why. Um, but if you're a pipe investor, uh, you're locked into that deal, right? And you're you're not only locked into it, like you can't trade out of it until the shares uh, that you're receiving in the pipe are registered, which is usually four months from close. Um, so why would a pipe investor subject themselves to that when they could easily go out in the in the open market, right, and accumulate a position which they can then redeem the share? They have redemption rights then, um, and so. People always ask me, like, why isn't there a lockup on the pipe? And it's like, well, for that reason alone, right? Like, they're already kind of locked up to begin with, and they're taking on a tremendous amount of risk, right? And it's also, um, it, it's the, the fact that they're even doing that should tell you um, they're giving, like, a stamp of credibility to these to these deals simply by doing that, right? So, um Pipe investors are always a good thing. Um, but going back to your question, you know, lockups are usually sometimes 
a little bit of a warning sign. Uh, I found it very curious that that Tom Farley, who went on CNBC a couple months ago and was talking about how sponsors should be, you know, like if they're going to be projecting out a couple years, um, you know, the the sponsor should be locked up, you know, accordingly as well. And then he comes out with, a, you know, less than a year lockup himself. It's like, um, what's going on there? <laughs> you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, yeah, I've seen a couple people, I, you know, Barry Stern, like too, you know, being very critical of other SPAC deals. And then, you know, that he's got his own to worry about. But yeah, Farley definitely saw that, you know, and I, I don't know how many people caught that. So, you know, thank you for shedding light on that. Um, you know, I think lockups are a very interesting subject, um, you know, that we could talk all day about. But I, I think that's going to do it for me. Mitch, are you ready with uh, some questions for Christy here? Yeah, I'll jump in and uh, I'm going to ask a little bit more uh, opinionated questions. Go ahead and give your opinion, Christy, like always. Uh, for everyone out there, this is so what more along so you guys can understand some thinking in SPACs. So one of the things that I brought up last week was I saw the big payout that Michael Eisner is getting out of the mud SPAC. Um, it says it, uh, on a Sportico article all the way up to $600 million, um, getting out of this SPAC. And we know the, the valuation, but what, what do you think about these big payouts from the operators behind this SPAC or behind any SPAC really? Um, I, I'm not as concerned too much with that. Um, I mean, if you're, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a different type of transaction, right? Like usually if you see a more growth stage company, they're doing more of a, um, a transaction that is similar to an actual IPO, right? Where they're selling only like a portion, like 10% of the company. Um, they're usually rolling all their equity um, and all of the, all the money is going into just growth, right? Then you have these other companies that are a little bit older, like like a like a tops, right? Um, or sometimes it's uh, part of a private equity uh, company's portfolio, right? And they're uh, looking to um, take the mark on that valuation, right? So it's just a different type of transaction. An older company where you know the the original founders want to take a little bit off the table, like that's that that's a typical M and A transaction, you know, um, and that happens a lot in specs. I think you have to take in the whole picture of the company and figure out like, is there still enough cash left for them to do what they want to do, you know, and execute. Excellent. Excellent. Definitely. Definitely. That's what I pay attention to. We got to have the cash. Right? I mean, we need some money, right? <laughs> uh, so lately we've been seeing a lot of, of what so-called short squeezes in SPAC. So one of the things that I've been talking about is do you feel, and I'll ask you, I mean, do you think institutionals are taking bigger and bigger sides on the short side against betting essentially SPACs? I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but you know, you have to remember, it's really, it's sometimes challenging to short specs um, mm -hmm. for a bunch of different reasons. One, sometimes the float is just so low. Um, the other thing too is, you know, I, I've heard that um, in order to vote, most um, institutional investors will keep their shares in a cash account, which means that the bank then can't lend the shares out to, uh, so that people can short it. And so like the amount of available shares um, eligible to be borrowed is uh, reduced as well. Um, and sometimes just the cost on on shorting it is just so prohibitive. It's like, why even bother? You know, um, having said that, uh, yes, it happens, uh, you know, in certain deals, probably more <laughs> frequently, you know, for obvious reasons. Of course. So definitely it's something that I, I'm definitely interested in. Now, one of the things that we also had was a combination of some SPACs with mentions of NFTs. So I won't necessarily go into asking you, what do you think about these specific companies? But more along, do you feel NFTs is still kind of a boom that we'll see in the SPAC game? So more your opinion on that. And, and what's your opinion overall on NFTs? So, I, you know, NFTs, I feel like they were hot for a a minute, you know, like it's mm -hmm. kind of calmed down a little. I, I would be very concerned if the NFT was sort of like the main play in the deal, you know, that shouldn't be the main uh, focus of a business that you're acquiring. If it is, I'd probably be a little bit concerned just because it is so new and um, subject to, you know, you know, whims of what people consider is in style, you know, so. Yeah. 
I mean, you, you, you saw it also, I'm sure back when we had like that Bitcoin boom, when everything was just trying to include Bitcoin, anything in the cryptocurrency. So I'm sure you got the, we're seeing kind of the same game, right? Let me go ahead and bring Chris back here. It looks like we got some questions from the chat. We'd love to do that. So definitely in the chat, if you're out there, you got a question for Christy, this is the time, drop it in, hurry up. Yeah, I don't see a, a ton of questions, Christy. We did get some positive comments here, though. Uh, a lot of people just appreciating how real you are about, you know, the SPAC industry and, you know, uh, providing us with, you know, some facts for the industry and, you know, some opinions as well with some of Mitch's questions. Um, I do see one question here talking about um, owning SPACs through like a Robin Hood. So, uh, you can't buy units uh, on certain uh, brokers. Do you think that's something that ever changes where SPAC uh, units and warrants will be traded on like a Robinhood or a Weeble? Or do you think that's going to remain, you know, for the larger, more established brokers? Well, I think SoFi, right, Jamas? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you know, but I, I would assume that that you can on that one. If not, <laughs> someone should... Uh, Someone should tweet your mouth. <laughs> I, I think you can on, on SoFi. I think that's one of the things that they've uh, ad adapted to there. But I know, you know, a lot of people use Robinhood. A lot of people use Weeble. And that's one of the big questions we always get, right, is why can't I buy warrants, um, you know, on those brokers? So you, do you think that's coming in the future? Well, I don't know. And here's why. Um, the SEC, right, like they, they're all about trying to protect the retail investor, you know, um, and because of that, you know, they consider warrants a little bit more, uh, you know, a, a challenging investment to, uh, to understand. And so I, I have to imagine that there's not a lot of um, effort being made by Weeble, right, or uh, Robinhood right now to do that, particularly in light of Robinhood's pending IPO, right? Maybe post IPO, they'll take a look at it. Um, but, you know, the SEC, right, like is sort of that um, unknown factor right now, which may, you know, prevent them from 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 really looking at it more closely. Definitely. And then uh, one last question here from G Man uh, asking about the harm that the redemptions do to the cash position. So, you know, when we get these SPAC deals announced, obviously, you know, it's based on the amount of money that they're going to get if the deal goes through 100%. They lay out their growth plans. What kind of uh, impact could it have, you know, when we're seeing over 50% of shares redeemed, less money go to that, those companies? Do you think it means we see a share offering sooner than later from these companies or is it just, you know, lower money for your growth ahead? Well, so um, a couple of things. Usually in SPACs, there's almost always some sort of minimum cash closing condition to the deal where the company can exit or terminate the combination if uh, there isn't enough cash at closing due to redemptions. Um, sometimes they will waive it. Um, that happened last week with... Uh, was it Arteus? I can't remember which one, but they had um, significant redemptions and um, the company opted to just waive it just to get public. In the case like that, yeah, pro they're probably going to have to raise money pretty quick, right? Um, however, I will say that a lot of deals, um, they've sort of backstopped the trust um, with the pipes. So they may have a minimum cash closing condition of 200 million, but they'll have a pipe that is 200 million, right? And so, um, They've already sort of anticipated that they've backstopped it um, in a case like that. Like it's not as much of an issue. Um, but what's what's interesting, too, is um, what you're starting to see a little bit more frequently now um, in, in anticipation of this is you'll see structured into these deals. Founders promotes um, being subject to forfeiture and cancellation if there is redemption. And the reason for that is, is if they didn't like if you had one hundred million dollar SPAC, right? Which means the founders have 2.5 million shares. Um, if there, if you, if you have like 60% of the SPAC shares redeemed, those shares are canceled. And so the post combination, the founder shares, which were originally estimated to only be like 4% of the uh, performer shares outstanding post combination are now going to be like 15%, right? And that dilution to the company is just not palatable. <laughs> and so um, you're seeing them have to cancel some portion of the founder shares dependent on redemptions. Yeah, definitely. Great points. Christy, I know you've had a busy morning. We had four deals announced. We had PSTH calling off that deal. So uh, we're going to let you go. We appreciate your time. 
Um, again, for anyone tuning in, Christine Marvin, the founder of SPAC Insider, you can find all her information in the description below. Make sure you follow her on Twitter as well. Christy, thank you so much for joining us on SPAC's Attack. We look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thanks, uh, Chris. Thanks, Mitch. Pleasure being thank here. You. Thank you. <laughs> All right, right, guys, another great resource here, SPAC Insider. You know, one of the top names out there, um, you know, we we wanted to bring her on, right? And you guys, it seemed to really enjoy her in the chat, right? Very open, very honest, right, Mitch? You know, know, providing great insight into the SPAC market, what some of these deals mean, what that redemption means, what the PSTH deal means. I mean, you guys got to hear it today you know, when that deal was called off. And, you know, I I think that was some great information. What do you think, Mitch? Yeah, it's something definitely to to keep a watch out. And one of the things that I liked that she talked about was just when we when we actually start looking at these deals, you really need to understand that it's separate. It's not just all in one basket. I think that's what she clearly points out there is that, hey, guys, you know, Let's let's not look at SPACs all under one name. That's just the asset class right there. And then that really doesn't have anything to do with inside the deals, how the uh, redemptions are going to work out, where the valuation is, what the business is. Does it have revenue? There's so many other questions you need to be asking versus that one question. Yeah, you know, she she called it 90%, 10%, right? You know, you got 90% of these SPACs, you know, following the the rules, you know, laying out their terms good. And then you got 10% where maybe they're, you know, kind of hitting on those lines and maybe going a little too far, you know, as we saw with SRAC. And, you know, she, she actually said, right, maybe the SEC is needed to, to make some changes. And, you know, I, I, I think that's true, right? I I love the SPAC market, but the SEC could be needed to really true up some of these deals. You know, that's one thing I've really called for is, you know, when a deal is announced, put the percent that shareholders are going to own, that the pipe's going to own, that the founders are going to own, put that in the press release. Don't put that in the presentation where you have to go all the way to the last page of the presentation to see the pie chart, right? Put it in the press release. Lay your terms out. You know, be fully transparent. So that's something I look for, you know, with these deal announcements. But uh, guys, let us know. If you want Christy to come back on the show, you know, in the future, press one. I enjoyed that interview, Mitch. Um, you know, and, and I look forward to hearing more from Christy. As someone who knows a lot about SPACs, I still learn stuff from some of these experts like Christy all the time. So uh, a great resource to have here. All right, so um, let's go ahead. Let's take a look here at our watch list, see what other stocks we got moving out there. Right now we have, of course, Outlet bouncing back about 12.5%, really just getting back above that $10 level. So good level there for Outlet. And if you got it on that dip, I mean, hey, you're definitely not mad about that. Um, yeah, and if, and if you follow me on Twitter, you saw me call Outlet out on uh, Thursday or Friday from vacation, right, that they had heavy redemption, the float was going to be smaller on this and I thought it could make a move. And, you know, you have outlet, as Mitch said, getting back above that $10 level, you know, these shares were uh, around nine something, um, you know, at the merger vote date past the redemption period, Mitch, another one moving that's newer to our watch list is Avpoint, AVPT. Um, We had TJ on not too long ago, right. And, And he talked about how they were going to introduce some new products, um, also how they were going to get some analyst coverage, right? You have shares up 11% today. I know they got an analyst note last week, you know, as TJ said on our show, right? This is one where it looks like maybe it bottomed out, but below $10 and it could be headed higher with some of these analysts coming in, uh, you know, and supporting this company. What do you think? Yeah. I- I mean, definitely one thing you are seeing is U-turns, right? And so one of the things that you see there is volatility, meaning that you can make money and you can lose money here. So one of the things is you got to start, if you're dipping your toes, I don't, I mean, I don't mind that. I I can see why you'd want to dip your toes if you're going to get 10% pop backs. Um, But definitely just be careful. 
right now you're going to see a bunch of multiple lows. So we're going to see if those lows hold in the next couple of days. But if you if you did take your shot and those are what you're risking off of, understand that, hey, all right, so now I got my point in the in the sand. Let's see if this really does get some momentum. One of the things you want to be seeing is some good volume coming into your stock today. That could show some sign that, hey, people are buying the dip. Can you pull up EVLV Evolve? Um, so this is the one that started trading today, right? Under the new name, the new ticker. Um, if you scroll back a little bit, yeah, look at that. So man, Mitch, I, I mean, this thing was trading at like 950, right? It's post-redemption. Uh, you can't redeem your shares anymore for net asset value. And then what did we see? We saw a huge spike today. But how long did that spike really last, right? Yeah, because that's again, <laughs> this is a this becomes a low float trade, right? Because you had heavy, heavy redemption. So this is something that Mitch has cautioned, you know, looking at the chart, and, and I want to caution too, right? It, it's a tradable event when we see these low float names, but it's also a trade that many people are getting into and they are more than comfortable selling on that initial spike. So mm -hmm. don't be caught you know, just chasing some of these low float names um, as it, it's really a one day trade. And if you missed out, you, you could actually see these shares go right back down below $10 in the next couple of days. Yeah. One of the things that you can clearly see is uh, it, it's not too big of a share size either. So just be careful too. It's not just load the boat and play like this. This has a lot to do with understanding what supply is on the ass side. And so one of the things that traders will do is they'll start looking at further out on the level two. Where are there some big sellers maybe lining up some orders that we can attack because you need supply on that side for you to go ahead and buy up and push the stock up. So this is this is really when it comes down more into day trading skills and an understanding of order execution and also understanding how you can really look at the order depth, which is really going to matter here. And so just be careful. I, I, I don't think that, you know, no one can make this trade. Yeah, there's some skilled traders that are making these trades right now. They're understanding that these, these pops are coming and they're ready right at the open. As you can see from this stock, 930 open right here at 1050. And in less than two minutes, we're up there at 1290s. So it, that just shows you there right there that, that, hey, that's some high volatility. And with that being said, one thing that you might see on a stock like this is when the spread goes gap. And then spread can gap 20, 50 cents. And so you have to understand that, that, hey, my out might be the only way I can get out is maybe on the bid side, 25 or 30 cents down. So just take that all into consideration, learn from it. And if you are a day trader, you're trying to nail a trade like this, understand like Chris said that, hey, these pops aren't lasting. They're coming up, down, up, down. So with that being said, you have to catch the momentum at the right timing. Yeah, and there, there's going to be a lot of that this week, Mitch, right? We've got tons yep. of votes this week. Timing, timing, we, We've timing. got lots of them, as Christy said as well, trading under $10. So I think we're going to see some heavy redemptions, right? You know, obviously you're Lucid, you're Faraday, you're not going to see the redemption, right? Because they trade well over that $10. But any of these ones that trade close to that $10 level, you're going to see heavy redemption. And then as they change to the new ticker, you're going to see those volatile swings because the float is decreasing in size. But be careful. Don't get caught chasing these. We've, we've got a, a, a big week for, for SPAC votes. And, and I don't want anyone to you know get caught chasing these things up high. Yeah, be careful. There are a couple names out there. But I can at least say that the, a majority of my top five or top six stocks are stocks that are doing those merger votes or have already switched over. So that's one thing to definitely point out. So it doesn't seem like it's like a new announced company, new announced deal companies at the top. And so with that being said, I'm leaving those companies alone right now. Those, those are I'm stepping out of those. I'm just not focused on those once they come into, let's say, merger vote day or something else, I'll be paying attention to them. And Virgin Galactic trading higher today, guys. You know, I called that one out, right? We got the Blue Origin flight this week. Uh, again, it's a tradable event, but if that Blue Origin flight is not successful, if it has problems, and probably regardless, 
You could see Virgin Galactic shares trade down over the next couple of days. You know, this thing rallies into news, but then we usually have the sell-off on the back end. So be careful chasing Virgin Galactic higher as well. This is one that I own. Uh, I've pointed out many trends with this one, many stories. You know, pay attention to the story and, and don't chase, you know, too late in the game. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us on SPAC's attack today. Yes, we had a great interview from SPAC Insider. So if you're just joining in and you didn't catch SPAC Insider's interview, definitely rewind or catch this at the end of the day. Hit us up in the comments below. Who do you guys want to see next? If you guys got an, an insider or maybe an account that you guys have really followed and think that they're great in the SPAC industry, let us know and we'll go ahead and reach out. All right, Chris, that's going to do it for us. Up next, you got the Power Hour. We'll see you next time, guys. On Bye, the everyone. Spanx.